Acts chapter 13. I spent two sermons on speaking on the first four verses. I will speak on the next nine. I'll read 1 to 13. I'll put it together best I can. Starting at verse 1. Now there were at the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menin, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them, I might paraphrase, many years ago. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John Mark, John, to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Patmos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He's with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked? the straight paths of the Lord. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the pro-council believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the joy with my brothers and sisters, of being astounded at the teaching of Jesus Christ, dumbfounded at the teaching of Jesus Christ, humbled and our souls laid prostrate at the foot of the teaching of the Son of Man who came and laid down his life that his enemies may live, Father God. Help us, Father God, to be crushed Let our pride be crushed at what Christ has done for us, God. Bring us that much closer to a genuine state of humility in our hearts, God, in our inner man, where there's no room for anything but Christ alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh Uh-oh. Come on. Okay. As a pastor, as I was, uh, I'll, I'll get to the, the title later on, but as a pastor and a preacher, it takes time and energy to preach faithfully. And not just faithfully, but to preach faithfully and make the text relevant for our lives. That takes work. That's not easy. You can be faithful and sit here and I can lecture you on the, what this verse means and I, we can go home. Or I can try to be relevant and just be, just to apply certain spiritual principles. And then we can go home. But to do both, that's not easy. And I say that because we need to keep one eye on the text to make sure that we're saying 
what the writer has first priority is teaching us. That's the writer is Luke. He's teaching us for a reason. He's not teaching Brian Martin. He's teaching you. You see these verse 13 verses we just read? Do you know that Christ died to give you those verses of scripture? Do you know that the Holy Spirit specifically spoke to men to give you this? Do you know? You might not know this. You cannot live without this text. You might not realize that. I'll, I'll go as far as this. You can't live and I can't live without any text. If Jesus said that man lives not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God, who are we not to? But I also need another eye on the application of the text to the congregation. I don't think everybody's home wrestling with Luke's mind and the gospel of Luke. In the book of Acts, trying to figure out really what's taking place. Hopefully you are enjoying it and you're, you're home and you're reading it. I sent out an email this week. I wanted you to read these verses and maybe think about it and see what you can come up with. But when I get up into this pulpit, I've done that work. Prayerfully, tearfully, thinking about people in the congregation, thinking about the culture we live in, and taking all these dynamics and putting a sermon together. A sermon that has to engage the mind. I'm going into an historical book, but it has to engage our mind as a Christian. It also has to touch the heart. It has to have religious affections to it. It has to be a way of saying, I want to love Christ more. Finding out more what he's done for me. But it also has to motivate the will to action. We can sit here and daydream all we want, but if it's not changing us, guess what? We're not hearing it right. Or I'm not preaching it correctly. So it's important. When a pastor gets up and preaches out of a text. Especially in a book of Acts. Because it is a historical account. History can be very. Boring. I had one real. Honest saint here. History can be really. Really boring. Fortunately I like history. Especially biblical history. I enjoy it very much. If I had to teach math. Forget it. The English language, forget it. <laughs> Biblical history, it's endearing to me. I like to spend time on it. It motivates me. It touches my heart. And God is actually teaching us something. So it's an easier said than done job. But nevertheless, it is our job. We don't avoid it. Every so often I have to remind the church that this is important to know. And today is one of those texts that I had to bring this up. When I was getting my introduction ready. So without further ado, let me explain Luke's perspective on all this. As I said, Luke is an historian. And he's writing about a big picture. He has this in mind. And his, his desire, his goal is to show the humble beginnings of Christianity around AD 30 and its growth throughout the whole Roman Greco world. Book of Acts spans about 30 years. There are 28 chapters, spans just about 28 to 32 years, somewhere in there, of the early Christian church. He wanted to show that what Jesus said, that this gospel must go to the ends of the earth, actually happened. And disciples were made from every people group, 
His goal is to show us the power of the gospel to save not just the Jew, but to the Gentile who knows nothing about Jehovah God. Don't miss that. The Jew knew Jehovah. The Jews knew the promises of the Old Testament. The Jews were waiting for a Messiah. The Jews knew you need to have forgiveness of sin. The Jews knew something about original sin. The Jew knew there was, a, there was something between God and mankind. They knew that. They had a whole sacrificial uh, 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 religious cult of bringing the sacrifices to God. So they can be right with God. The rest of the world didn't know that. They were filled with super... Stitions. His goal is to show us the power of the gospel to save all types of people, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, educated, ignorant, slave, free, male, female, young, old. You go through the book of Acts, you see everybody getting saved. There's not one type that's not being saved in the book of Acts. And how it spread all over the world of its day. The known world... 2,000 years ago really was the ancient Roman Greco world around the Mediterranean Sea. That was them. Everything outside that, they were called barbarians. The Gauls. This chapter that we're just reading about is a new break in the book. Luke, as the historian for the first 12 chapters, spoke about Peter's ministry, mostly to the Jew and around Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and spanned the first 15 years of Christ after, after his ascension. But now the message is different. Not the message. What? There's a different take on this now. For the first 12 chapters is Peter. But now for the next 15 chapters, it's going to be all about the Apostle Paul bringing the gospel to the rest of the world. Now the message of Jesus is going to the rest of the world. Listen to me. This chapter is the first time we see organized missions. Now you're supposed to say, wow. Say, what an astute congregation. Let me tell you. Let's do that again, all right? Now the missions are going to the world. Wow. You might not think that's much, right? But you know, there's two fulfillments that have to take place. There's only two left. This boat ride they sailed to Cyprus was the second to last fulfillment that the gospel has to go to the rest of the world. Then after that comes the second coming of Jesus Christ. So from a, a novice's reading, that's not much. But from a minister... It's happening. The promise that the gospel is going to go to the world is here. There's only one thing to wait about now. The second coming of Christ. That is it. The whole world has heard the testimony of Jesus Christ. So even when I'm on gym and I'm doing curls, I'm like, praise God, he's coming back. Hallelujah. When I see the whole political climate going nuts, I'm like, praise God, look up, my redemption draws nigh. There's nothing left. Except maybe one small, how can you say, uh, technicality. Antichrist. But we're not going to speak about him right now. Okay, he's only here for a short time, then Jesus comes and slays him with the sword of his mouth. But here's the point. 
This is a serious move in biblical theology. The gospel is going to the ends of the world. This is majestic. It's beautiful. This is Paul's first of three missionary journeys that take up the rest of the book of Acts. Each one of these missionary journeys, it broadens his sphere of influence, like concentric circles. It was in Jerusalem. Now it's going to Asia. Then it's going to go to the rest of the Roman world. This brings us to tonight's text. The first four verses that we read and went over the last two weeks is the call to missions. And the call to mission is this now like, hey, John, what are you doing? Let's go on missions. No, you just don't go up and get on mission. You just don't go up to 86th Street and preach the gospel. You just don't take things into your own mouth. You pray. You fast. You ask God's help. You wait for a witness of the Holy Spirit. You wait for other people in the congregation to say, Amen. It's time. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's go to work. Let's send these two men out into the work they were genuinely called for 15 years ago. They've been waiting to go out into the mission field and preach Christ. But they stayed here for our benefit and built the church at Antioch. They labored among us for almost 15 years, though they had a call to go somewhere else and they patiently waited for the call to come and then one day in prayer and fasting as they were worshiping and loving the Lord, guess what? The prophet spoke, the Holy Spirit spoke set them apart, the time has come they've been desiring to go they've waited 15 years, the church is strong, the church is ready the church is behind them, the church is going to support them in prayer, the church is going to support them financially, send them out to the work I called them 15 years ago God doesn't forget about the promise he told you. God doesn't forget about the promise he told me. If God made a promise, he'll fulfill it. But let's be about worshiping the Lord in the interim. Not sitting around, well, yeah, God called me. How many times I heard that? God's got something for me to do. Well, that's nice. I haven't seen you in church in two years. Where you been? I'm waiting for God to call. No, you get about God's business, like Jesus said. I'm in the Father's temple. What? I'm in my Father's house doing my Father's business. When your time will come, let God find you serving the saints in the local church, and then he'll send you out and do what you have to do. So the time has come. They're going out. When we read history, we need to see the historian's intent. And that's not always easy. That's why a lot of people give up on history. They miss the value. They miss the beauty of history. Especially Christians reading the book of Acts. They miss it. It's not always easy, but it's there. Luke is starting, I should say, the Holy Spirit is actually sending them to Cyprus. Because that's where the missionaries started. But understand something. But it really doesn't say much about it. Yeah, they went to Cyprus. But what he says, and and what he does not say, and I'll get into this, is really important. This is my job. I need to bring this to the light. They sailed 60 miles to Cyprus. This is Barnabas' hometown. Did you know that? Did you know Barnabas is actually from Cyprus? Of course not. That's my job. This is where he's from. And being a Jew, he would have naturally been part of the Jew- Jewish community in this town. And this town was important. 
It was the commercial center of the whole island. It was the major port city of economics. That might not mean much to you and me. But it means a lot to God. This, was in ta- this town was important as a commercial center. Paul, in his ministry, Paul and Barnabas in their ministry didn't just say, let's go somewhere and preach like a shotgun. We'll just yell at people. Jesus, repent. They strategically went to the economic center and preached to the synagogues, to preach to the Jews, and preached to all those who, in, in commerce. Why? Because if you spread the gospel there, they take it to the rest of the world. Did you know that? Did you know when Paul went somewhere, he went strategically to certain places to preach? Because he knows it could have a greater effect of cross-pollination. And on the way from one town to the other, guess what he did? He preached. Guess what Paul always did? If there was a body, a human being in his vicinity, he preached. But he was strategic when it came to evangelism and to missions. And they specifically went to this place, Salmas, all right? The economic center and capital of this, of Cyprus, strategically to go to the Jew first, tell him that Messiah has truly come, show them in the scriptures that he always did, that Jesus Christ is Messiah, to go into that economic center, to share the gospel there so they can spread it throughout the world. But there's something interesting here. Only one verse teaches us that. Verse 6. There's no fruit. That's huge. Luke reports basically nothing happened. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the man who can raise the dead. This is the man who knows the Old Testament inside and out. Why does not Luke tell us somebody was converted? We don't know if they were. And we don't know if they didn't. This is why. This is where I come in. Here is where it turns strange from an historian's perspective. There was no recorded fruit to their proclamation. They went and they proclaimed and all we have is silent. But silence says much. Because he quickly moves from there to the whole other side of the island in one verse of scripture. See, to me, I got to think, why is that? Why is that? This is no short Uber ride to the other side of the island. It would take a week, if not longer, of quick walking to walk to the other side of the island. It's 138 miles long, 60 miles wide. But he has to go to Patmos. He has to get there. And Luke wants us to see that. Luke wants us to see the encounter of Jesus, I mean, I should say, with Paul and the magician. Uh, what's the magician's name? Bar Jesus. That's what Luke wants us to do. It's like he, he only goes to the top, he's one verse of scripture. And then he goes down there to meet the magician. That's what Luke wants us to look at. That's what he wants us to see. 
That's what he wants us to read. That's what he wants us to study. He is telling us something. This is not just some kind of religious curiosity just thrown into the book of Acts. No, no, no. He's an historian. He is taking the point of interest and he's saying, this is what I want you to know. And this is where we got to look at. We got to look at the showdown between Paul and this Jewish false teacher named Bar Jesus. This is vitally important, and that's why he moves so fast and don't even talk about any kind of fruit under the proclamation in Pathmos. He don't even talk about it. He goes right to the other side of the island. He goes right to this man by Jesus, and there's a showdown between Paul and his false Jewish teacher. Solomon was the economic center, as I already said, but Pathmos was the political center. And Paul goes from the economic center strategically to the political center. This is a great strategy. One not just in the shout about Jesus, as I already said. And whoever hears it is great. No, this is strategic to the core. To the Jew first. Economic center second. So the gospel can go to all lands. The political center. We're in the political center now. And there's a reason. Because that's where they held the power over the people. It's interesting. But before Paul got there, Satan was already there. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. This man's an intelligent man, and he's got a false prophet running around with him. You're smart, but you're not that smart. Why does Luke want us to see that? Because Satan has his strategies. You can rest assured. He knows what he's doing. Bar Jesus is not the son of Joshua. But Paul tells us who he is. He's the son of the devil. This showdown is equivalent to Moses' showdown with the magicians of Egypt. This showdown is equivalent to Elijah's showdown with the priests of Baal. This showdown is the same as Jesus' showdown with the demons in all four Gospels. Peter's showdown with Simon the magician in chapter 8 of Acts. We're going to see it again in chapter 16 with a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and fortune telling. This is a showdown between God Almighty and the occult. Right here in our text. And that's what Luke wants us to see. He wants to see that Jesus Christ, just like he had the power to cast out demons, his ministers who preach the truth, let us know the church that Jesus Christ is head over everything in the universe. Everything. Nothing stands in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Luke wants us to know. And there's a reason I'll get to it in an application. Why? Why? Surely, Paul was on this island for at least several weeks, if not longer. At least. But we have nothing said, except this one real showdown. 
Luke could have said so much more. And this is why. Luke's world, or I should say our world, is not much different than Luke's world 2,000 years ago. Luke's world was one of much satanic activity. The occult was everywhere. Superstition was a way of life. These people carried a lot. These false prophets, these shamans, these fortune tellers, these people that had the spirit of divination, they carried a lot of weight in the ancient world, especially in third world countries, as they do today. Luke's reason, as the reason of all New Testament writers, as I already said, was to show that Christ is Lord of the universe and his power is in the message of the gospel. And we need to know that. Just as Moses taught the children of Israel when he went toe-to-toe with Egypt's best magicians and he won hands down. Whenever God does a new work, and you can go through the Bible, I'm not going to spend time developing that. Whenever God does a new work, a new location, in the Bible, he goes face-to-face with the local deities. He's always going toe-to-toe with the local deities. Because superstition, it was a a superstitious world, and it, it held great power over the people. So if you're going to talk about a new God, guess who's the new kid on the block? When it comes to all the ancient religions 2,000 years ago, guess who's the new kid? Jesus. So if you're going to come preach to me about this new deity, you better show me some power. Because Satan is already there. That's what Luke is teaching us. That's what part of the book of Acts is teaching us. As a matter of fact, when I started teaching the book of Acts two years ago, I titled the message, The Gates of Hell Will Not Prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. And you read the book of Acts just with that thought. And you watch all the fierce encounters Satan threw at those young ministers. And God pulled them through all. And it was always fruit. Like tonight. The intellectual man, he believed. Whenever God does a new work in new locations, the Bible teaches us he goes face to face with the local deities. God's children needed to know that back in Moses' day. God's children needed to know that 2,000 years ago. And guess what? Christians need to know it now. No tarot cards. No superstitions. No tea leaves. The dead cannot hear you. As Isaiah says, why are you going to the dead on behalf of the living? I'm alive. Why am I going to go with a dead person? They couldn't hear me when they were here. They're going to hear me now and answer my prayers? Why in the world would anybody go to a dead person to find out about life? It did them no good. They're dead. But how many people in this room know people that go to tarot cards? How many people are still going to seances, astrology, horoscopes, dibbling and dabbling? No, not at all. We have the answer to life. I'll talk about being filled with the spirit later and what it means to go toe to toe with the magicians today. And why many Christians don't and why many ministers don't.
because they're not filled with the Spirit of God. Superstition has to go. We live in a world that caters to satanic influences like they did 2,000 years ago. Listen, Hollywood knows that Satan sells, doesn't he? But they don't know that he's real and he steals souls. They don't know that. Like our intellectual in our text today, he was smart and he was wise and he was a stage and he was well read, but it was no power against satanic influence. Let me tell you something. You take God out of the equation and Satan fills the void. Take God out of the classroom, guess who's waiting to jump in? Take God out of the media, guess who's waiting to jump in? Take God out of the pulpit, guess who's ready to jump in? See? Listen, Paul wasn't looking for a fight. Satan was. And he found one. And he lost. Like he always will when you go toe-to-toe with Christ. The Bible says here that this man, Sergius Paulus, was an intellectual man. He was intelligent. And I got to remember, Luke is an historian, but he also is a, a physician. He's an intelligent man. Why does he make this, 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 you know, this thought that he's an intelligent man? You read the book of Acts, I read the whole New Testament. You don't see that word anywhere else. It's not used. He was an intelligent man. I love that. He knew about Christianity for, for sure. He was a well-read man. Christianity was young, was only 15 years old, but Christians were already on this island 12 years earlier. If you read the book of Acts, the 11th chapter, it talks about men from Cyprus sailed to bring the church to Antioch. They heard about Jesus on this island. This man heard about Jesus. This man was the pro-council. He wasn't just an intelligent man. He had all the authority of Caesar on this side. He was Caesar on this side. He had all the military might he wanted at his fingertips. He was the man in charge. And Paul knew it. And Paul went there. Satan knew it. It was already there. I love the showdown. Can you see it now? In this corner, you got Paul and his message about Jesus. In this corner, you got the magician and the intellect running the whole show. Little do they know what's going to take place in a little while. But now Christianity's back. Satan doesn't like it. Bar Jesus doesn't like it. And this intelligent man summons Barnabas and Paul to come to his office, to come to his court. Not just to hear. It actually means to explain Jesus to them. That's the scary part. Proclaiming Christ is one thing. That'll get some people nervous. But when you start explaining Jesus... That gets people really nervous. You know why? Jesus makes sense. He, I love speaking to intellectuals. Love it. I will go toe-to-toe with any of them. Not that I'm brighter than them or more well-read than them, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I have the answer to life and death. They don't. 
So they can talk all they want. But when it comes to dealing with the moral problem in the heart, they've got no answer. When it comes to eternal life, they have no answer. When they come to the problem of sin, they have no answer. We do. Paul did. And the smartest thing this intellect ever did was summon Paul. Though he was a wise man, it actually means the word means a sage. He was like a grandfather. He was like a, he was a good man. He was a man who had all the answers. But he had a heart for the people. But when it comes to spiritual things, please hear me. Neither man's wisdom or intellect is good enough. Man's intellect and man's wisdom has great limitation when it comes to the things not seen. This man knew a lot and he was sincere, but it's not good enough. This smart man, this sincere man, fell for the sinister ministry of this Jew turned false prophet. He was wise. But he was not wise enough to see the trickery of Satan in bar Jesus. Satan is represented here by this false prophet named bar Jesus. And he does not take kindly to Paul's ministry. And does everything he can through manipulation and lies to try to stop Paul from explaining the gospel to this man. It looks like if you read the text that this probably went on for like maybe a minute. But time has elapsed here. It could be a whole day. It could be several days. And this man, Sergius Paulus, is listening to the Apostle Paul and Paul. He's being drawn by who? He's being drawn. And the false prophet, guess what? He knows it. And he doesn't like it. Because that means he loses his power and influence. But Paul's got something up his sleeve. It's called apostolic authority. Now, there are those who think they can run around casting out demons all the time and calling out blindness on people. Move to another church if you hear that, okay? Please, whatever you do. This is apostolic authority. Guess what? I don't want that. I don't belong. It doesn't belong to my ministry. I want nothing to do with it. You better have seen Christ and are willing to die for Christ immediately if you're going to move in this kind of power. This belonged to the apostles and them alone. It doesn't belong to you and me. And Paul uses this apostolic authority to show this leader who really is the prophet of God. This act of judicial blindness seals the deal for this man whose soul, this bright intellectual man whose soul was at stake and had no idea about it. And 
we see here in these nine verses one convert to Christ. A whole mission tour in Cyprus. Had to take weeks, maybe even months. And all we have an account from Luke and a story shows us one convert. God's one convert. God's specific, strategic one convert. God's strategic, specific leader, military might. He had it all. He was the political man. He was Caesar on this island. If God was going to save any one man, that's the man. When we read historians' views, there are some historians from 2,000 years ago that write about this. They mention uh, Sergius Paulus, about the, I think it was AD 44, which would have been about the same time that Paul was doing his missionary journey. And so the proof is there that was here, but we don't know much about the man. So history doesn't teach us much about him, but the scriptures teach us that the most important man on the island that Satan did everything he could to defend, lost the battle and was converted to Christ. How awesome is God? Amen. How awesome is God? Let me go into a couple applications and we'll close. First one. They sailed to Cyprus. There are reasons we can think about they sailed to Cyprus, but I'll give you one reason I really truly believe. They sailed to Cyprus because Barnabas loved Cyprus. It's his hometown. It's where his family was from. That's where his relatives probably still lived. And God will often take a man or a woman from a place and then send them back maybe years later to minister to the same people. Many people in homeless ministry were once themselves homeless. Many people who ministered to the addicted were one time addicted. Many people have come out of prostitution and come out of the gay lifestyle after salvation and being strengthened for a period of time in a local church. Guess what? They go back and minister to the same people they came from. They got a a genuine heart for people. I got saved. I was in the gym. I haven't left. God hasn't called me from there. I love my position in the gym. I love the people in there. I got a certain heart for them. I love to sit there and, and lift weights, train with them, and train uh, and teach them, and at the same time witness to them about Christ. And I, what I love too, I got I got brothers and sisters here that are in the gym too, and we're cross pollinating. And, and Sister Gail, I was telling John and Terry and Kim and John and Terry and Kim last night that you know Gail be over there and she's doing her exercises, and I hear her talking about Jesus. She's doing. She's doing a leg raise. And here's my pastor. Come to Sunship Ministries. You know? And she doesn't already know. I've told that guy about Jesus already. So this is how God works. I love that. My heart's warm. We were, we were sharing Christ the other day in the middle of the gym floor. We're talking about the Lord. We're praying. with. I love that. Right there. I'm not going to get somebody. Let's go in quietly in the corner. Right there. On the back press. Let's pray. On the me and Brother Rodney right there praying. Who cares? People are watching. Praise God. You want them to watch. That's what it's about. That's what it is. 
I went to the kitchen the other day of a, a, a golf club, and I got a whole bunch of people together outside. I'm playing golf with people. They don't want nothing to know about Jesus. I go with the help. They all come together, Pastor, let's pray. Right there in the kitchen, we'll pray. I love it. God is so good. Don't be ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. Don't. I'm challenging you today. Go back to those people where you come from. Go back to the people you love and get them. Hold their hands and pray with them and tell them about Christ right there. Don't think twice. Don't care about what anybody says. You will be so uplifted. You won't care. I'll speak about that in a minute. It reminds me of a story about the intellect. This man was a genuine intellectual, but when it comes to intellect, he met his match in the Apostle Paul. This man had a broad mind. It reminds me of a story of uh, of C.S. Lewis's conversion. If you don't know who C.S. Lewis is, a, a, a great theologian of the early and mid 20th century. But he was led to the Lord, he was an atheist, by T.R.R. Tolkien and another man, uh, G.K. Chesterton. Now understand, these two men, you know who they were? Brainiacs. They were Roman Catholics. Praise God. Praise God. And I mean that with all my heart. They loved the Lord. They had a genuine love for Christ. And they spoke to C.S. Lewis, who eventually went into the Anglican church. But the point is this. Intellectuals spoke to him. Spoke to his own language. God knows how to get his people, amen? C.S. Lewis probably wouldn't have spent one moment listening to one of my sermons. But to listen to Tolkien and Chesterton, they were the men for the job. But guess what? The people in the gym could not read mere Christianity at all. But they'll receive from me. Amen? That's the way it works. God sends us. He uses all of us with our different various gifts and backgrounds and educations, whether we have it or not, to go to the people of Cyprus. Who is it in your life? Where did you come from? What's your background? School teachers? Fine, cops, gym rats, dancing, entertainment field. Where is it? Guess what? Is it time for God to send you back and start speaking with God? There's one of the brothers is here right now. We've been speaking and uh, we go out for lunch quite often. He was telling me how his friends that he grew up with and they ran with Wild you know, over 40 years ago. They get together and they, they speak and, and he's sharing Christ with them now. You're on Facebook? You speaking to friends you went to grammar school with? Have you shared Christ with them? And if not, why? Is God sending you back? You know why he sent Barnabas back? Because Barnabas had something to offer. Guess what you have now? You have something to offer. Point two, Christianity in the occult. Do we move in this type of power today? No. We don't. It would be nice, but we don't. 
And guess what? Don't need it. I got the gospel of Christ. Let me explain something to you. Perhaps in a third world country, I pray that there's ministers out on the battlefields in Islamic nations and Hindu nations. I pray and hope that they are moving in power. I pray for them. God, give them, give them the power. It's the Holy Spirit. But here in America, we don't see that, and it's fine. Let me give you an example. When I first started karate, I was training about two or three years, and uh, I was coming to my first big tournament. I just made my black belt. And I'm looking at these other guys training. I'm like, these guys are head and shoulders over me. Bigger, stronger, more experienced. And a guy came over to me from Germany. He goes, Brian, don't, I don't know, but God had to send this guy over to me. He goes, don't look at what they can do. Master what you know and fight with it. I knew what he meant. These guys can have 25 different techniques. I had three or four. But he showed me I can beat a man with 25 techniques when I use three or four with all my heart. I won that tournament against men more experienced, more bigger, more stronger than I won because I took what I knew. I use that as an example. I don't have to cast out demons. I take the gospel. I know it. Even it with all my heart, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all those who would believe, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. I have that one truth. The gospel saves. The gospel saves. It is the power of God. I don't need signs and wonders. I don't need that power. If God wants to give it to us as a church, praise God. But if you come in here, you're going to hear the gospel of your salvation. You're going to hear the gospel that sanctifies you and changes you from the inside out. Those two techniques I have and I'll wield it like a sword. Sometimes we think we have to go out with all this brainiac knowledge. Sometimes you just go around telling people, once I was blind, now I will see. And if it doesn't work on one guy, you go to the next, guess what? Once I was blind, now I see. And then you go to someone else and you tell them again, once I was blind. Then one day you start saying, you don't understand. I was genuinely blind. I was living in a moral wilderness. I was no good. I was a drunkard. I was angry. I was prejudiced. I was a womanizer. I was a fornicator. I was blind. But guess what? I don't do it no more because I see. Use your testimony to save souls. Use your testimony. Oh, I don't know enough. I don't read enough. I don't do enough. I don't. Who cares? Are you saved? Has God done anything in your life? Tell somebody. It's the power of God. And I'll close with this. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke is quick to tell us that when Paul called down judicial judgment on this man, It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, many ministers of Christ are very soft on cultural distractions to the gospel. They do not confront false religions or philosophies of the day. You know why? For fear of what people might say. We live in political correctness. Don't say anything. Don't insult 
anyone. Whatever you do, don't talk about another man's religion, another man's philosophy. Let's all just get along. Do you know why they do that? Because they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are going to preach Christ, if you are going to live Christ in a society that wants nothing to do with Christ, you better be filled with the Holy Spirit. Parents aren't telling their kids about the sin they're in. You know why? They're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They're watching their children go away. They're watching this and they're watching that and they're just going by love. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will bring you into a confrontation with every evil, vile spirit that's out there. Because the, Satan cannot come against a man or a woman who's filled with the Spirit of God. Satan cannot come against a church that's filled with the Spirit of God, that proclaims the gospel, who's unashamed of the gospel, who's able to call to a culture and say, you're living in darkness, you're loving sin rather than the light, and you need to repent and come into the loving arms of Jesus Christ. Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Oh, I'm a Christian, Brian. Okay, we'll start with that. How much sin are you turning a blind eye to? How much corruption you don't want to hear, you don't want to disturb anybody. They love one another. Praise God. Think about it. Why? I'll tell you why. Because we're not filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you will hear what other people are saying about Christ. You will see what other people are doing. And you'll confront them. Because you know why? Souls are at stake. This man... Sergius Paulus was on his way to hell. And though he was smart and he was brilliant, he wasn't smart enough to see satanic activity when it stood in front of him. Until Paul came. And I thank God for the spirit-filled believers who told me about Jesus Christ when I was under the influence of Satan. Our loved ones Understand something. They're good. They're not bad people. But they're under satanic influence. And I can prove it to you. 1 John 5.19 says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And he has blinded their eyes to the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to fill us with your spirit. Father, I ask you to fill us with your gospel. Father, shake us up from our lethargy. Shake us up from our indifference. If we have fallen into the spell of Satan, and we don't speak about Christ, we don't warn people of the judgment on sin in a loving way, Father God, if we're turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to the sin around us in our family, if we're turning a blind eye to the people around us who we love, Father God, because we don't want to make waves, Fill us with your spirit so we genuinely love them the way Paul loved this man, Father God. And went toe-to-toe with Satan so that this man in the gospel could go forth.
Help us in this endeavor, God, in Jesus' precious name.